want your boss to put some real action behind the rhetoric when they talk about making your workplace more inclusive? Find out how to hold their feet to the fire to demand diversity on the Diversity Dude Podcast. You know, we on the Shaletta Show like to say change begins with a conversation. Uh, if you can't talk about it, you don't know about it. And if you don't know about it, you can't be informed and, and things won't change. And that change every Saturday starts right here. Welcome back to the show. Uh, it's Shaletta in Cottage Grove. Jonathan is in the studio, um, downtown Minneapolis. It's CCO Radio. And I have uh, Tora Bamampour. She is a Washington uh, Post reporter, and uh, we had to talk about something because uh, two new analysis, two of them, not just one, but two, suggest that the 2020 census may have undercounted black folks at a significantly higher rate than usual. And that that raises some concerns and some red flags about whether uh, communities of color could lose out on fair representation and funding over the next 10 years. Tara, thank you so much uh, for being on the show with me today to talk about the report that you did for the Washington Post. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, how did this come about? So there's always somewhat of an undercounter and overcount in the census. Um, This just happens every 10 years. And generally, the undercount tends to be among certain groups, including renters, low-income people, minorities, and children. So that's kind of a given. The problem is that this census this time around had a lot of problems, Um, everything from being underfunded back a few years ago when Congress just wasn't putting enough money into doing some of the testing, to the citizenship question that the Trump administration tried to put on the form, which scared a lot of people, uh, possibly scared them out of responding at all. Then there was a pandemic last year that hit right when the forms were going out telling people to respond to the census. Then there were natural disasters later in the year. This whole census uh, got delayed by a few months. There were legal battles about when it was going to end. So it was sort of the perfect storm of problems for this census, which led a lot of people to worry that it was not as accurate as previous censuses had been. And when we talk about the accuracy, you know, your story uh, just just pretty much lays it out there that there were two um, different analysis that that suggests that you know uh, black folks were undercounted in the census. Tell me about these analyses and how are they done? Right. So up until now, the Census Bureau has not actually released the data that is needed to do this kind of analysis about the actual numbers. But what uh, one of the analysts did was it was a pretty smart thing. She took the files that were used in 2010. And basically, the way that people mark their race on the census is they can mark a box, they can mark more than one box, and they can mark a box that says some other race if they don't think that any of the boxes really, you know, align with what they feel that they are. And then the Bureau does something which is to kind of look at the the way that some other races marked and try to allocate those into either black or non-black categories so that they can compare their uh, results and 
their estimates with with previous estimates. And there's there's a kind of long historic reason for that. But basically, in a nutshell, it's because they don't have enough data going back far enough to be able to do it for any other races besides black or not black. So they do that, and they do that every 10 years. And what this analyst did was she looked at the way that they did that in 2010, and she made a simulation for 2020 based on the numbers that we have so far. And her simulation found that black people could be undercounted up to three times higher rate than last time. And that translates to about two million people lower than it should be. And, you know, the the second report says that uh, the undercount of black children could be up to 10 times as high as a decade ago. Look, girl, I filled out the paperwork. I got four kids in here. I need all of them to be counted. How is that possible? That's right. Again, so it's a combination of, you know, children being even harder to count, you know, minorities being harder to count. So when you got, you know, children and minorities, I mean, black black children are sort of some of the, the you know, highest undercount. And, uh, yeah, this, this uh, other analysis found that, you know, the, the undercount for black kids 10 years ago was 0.6%. It could be as much as 5.8% this time or even higher, according to that analysis. And, and it's not just the numbers, you know, it, 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 it's not just, oh, well, they don't see us over here multiplying. But these analysis and, and undercounting, you know, it, it has a big impact on a lot of federal funding, including Medicaid, Medicare, uh, the SNAP program, highway planning, construction, Section 8 housing vouchers, Head Start Girl. The, the, t- talk to me about the list because it could go on and on and on about how our communities that are already struggling, a lot of them um, will not get the funding that they need because these numbers are not where they're supposed to be. That's right. You're right. It does go on and on and on. It's, you know, school districts. It's, you know, whether they fix your roads or not. And it's not just federal funding. It is also things like a business might look at the census to decide whether or not they are going to build, say, a big box store in your community. And they will look and say, well, are there enough customers for the store? Are there enough employees who are going to work on the store? And if the numbers are less than they should be, then that community might not get that store. Or, you you know, another business might decide, like, well, we're going to put in um, charging stations for electrical cars, but we're not going to do that if there aren't enough people living here. So the implications just, you know, ripple on and on and on. They're saying this may be the largest undercount um, in decades. And and I remember um, Mark Mario the president and chief executive of the National Urban League. He sued the Bureau last year uh, to stop the count from ending early. And, and so when I, I saw uh, Tora Barmanpour's Washington Post story, the 2020 census may have undercounted black Americans. I had to get her on the show because it took me back to that lawsuit. And you talk about that in your story, Tara. That's right. Last uh, year, around this time, they were scrambling to finish the census count, and the Trump administration was doing its best to end the count uh, as soon as they could. And the Census Bureau had originally said they wanted till the end of October. Uh, there were legal battles 
as you mentioned, and it ended up uh, stopping on October 15th. And when we're talking about stopping, we're talking about this is the last-ditch effort to count the very, very hardest people to count, people who didn't fill out their forms, who you know didn't answer their doors when the enumerators came by later in the year, who were very hard to find. And those are the kind of people that you don't want to miss. You know, those are people who, like you said, are in need of these this federal funding. And so, you know, the question is, like, you know, how how many corners were cut? I mean, at the time, there were census workers who were saying that they were being told by their supervisors to just, you know, fill out the form however they could. And if it meant, you know, sort of not doing things by protocol, you know, in some cases they were told to do that. So it, it's very much a, a mystery sort of how they got, you know, the, the full count done or whether they did. And um, I, kn- I know you're getting a, a lot of reaction uh, to this story. Um, you know, you, you detail the challenges and, and you talk about the lawsuits and concerns uh, from the experts about whether the undercounts um, would be more significant at this time. And, and one of the legislators that you talked to, uh, Representative uh, Brenda Lawrence, a, a Democrat from Michigan, said it's a perfect storm. Uh, for an undercount on so many levels. And, and, you know, you talk about how poor and uh, minority communities are already reluctant to respond to questions about their household members and, you know, and all the additional challenges that that made this whole process so um, disturbing for the folks who are doing the analysis. Right. A lot of people in these communities, you know, don't want to answer questions about their household. They don't want to, you know, open the door to strangers. Um, then, then again, you have immigrants who are spooked by some of the efforts of the Trump administration to, you know, add the citizenship question. And on top of that, you had all of this publicity that the Census Bureau was going to be doing last year, that they were planning events and going to churches and going to libraries and so on. And all of that had to be scrapped when the coronavirus came pandemic hit. So they didn't have that sort of backup to sort of get people in the communities and, and people who actually live in the communities to, you know, talk to their friends and neighbors and tell them to fill out the census form. So that was another, you know, sort of black mark against the, 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 the survey going well. And now you've got places like Detroit, uh, where the mayor, when the when the last set of numbers came out in August, he said that's 10% less um, than, than we actually have in Detroit based on the electric company uh, uh, contracts that are currently mm-hmm. active. So he's already talking about suing. He's, he's waiting for some more numbers to come out, but he had mentioned that. In D.C., too, we've got some uh, areas of D.C., um, which there's a suspicion that, you know, they, but they, they know that there weren't enough uh, enumerators hired in these neighborhoods of color. And so they had to bring people in from other areas. And, and the numbers for D.C. also came out quite a bit lower than D.C. was expecting. So there's a lot of suspicion that, you know, maybe not everybody was counted. And, and we're not going to know for sure for a, another few months to a year, depending on when these numbers come out. There's also a post-enumeration survey that the Census Bureau itself does to try to check their numbers. So we're all going to be very interested to see when these numbers come out, you know, how close to the mark these analyses were. Now, part of your story says the full extent of the survey's undercount and overcounts will become clearer next year. Why? What happens next year where this, you know, we'll we'll really be able to see what's going on? 
Well, the Census Bureau analyzes their data in steps. And so the first step was in April, they released the state population totals, which tell you how many people are in each state. And that's what the government uses to allocate or apportion um, congressional seats for the next 10 years. So that's already happened. It also allocates uh, electoral vote, uh, college votes. So that has happened already. There were some states that you know came out lower than expected, especially a few states that have a lot of immigrants. So again, that people wonder. The next step was in August where they released data that was more detailed. It had some information about race and ethnicity and geography, but it's not as detailed as the data that they will be releasing sometime in the next year, which is going to get down to the nitty gritty, like, you know, not only like how many black people, how many white people, et cetera, but, you know, like how many single black female head of households there are in such and such a, a city. And in that at that point, we're going to be able to tell a lot more about, you know, where we are with an undercount. And, you know, this is the thing this year, the 2020 census uh, was the first where you were encouraged to fill out the form online. Um, And, you know, one of the things that your uh, piece in the Washington Post points to is it may respond easier um, for a lot of groups. It did. That's true. Um, If you are in a place with great broadband, if you've got a good Internet connection, then, wow, it was great because, yes, there was a pandemic, but you didn't have to leave the house. You didn't have to open your door. You could respond online. So those people probably got counted pretty well. But if you didn't have Internet at home, if you didn't have good broadband, if you were transient, if you were homeless, you know, if you were moving. Uh, A lot of people moved between April 1st and the end of the year, either due to the pandemic or due to natural disasters. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot more uncertainty, a lot more instability. And for those folks, you know, the undercount may have been more pronounced because of those reasons. And, and, you know, it, it wasn't potentially as helpful to have the opportunity to do it online. So that could have added to the inequity. Yeah. And, you know, you you look at so many um, communities of color and you think, wow, they didn't get this funding. They didn't get that funding. They didn't, you know, there are no resources to pour into that. And then you look at the storm of a census and you think, well, you know, if the numbers aren't right, if the count isn't right, then they're not going to get the program and they're not going to get the funding, um, you know, and and, you know, we start talking about legislation and the Congressional Black Caucus and, and they weighed in on it. And, and, you know, we start talking about seats and districting and, and all that. It's just a ripple effect. And, you know, representation matters so much. And we're looking at, you know, the story that broke in the Grio uh, earlier this week um, where Sheila Jackson Lee and Representative Al Green of Texas um, may be fighting for the same you know, uh, uh, house seat because of, you know, districting and numbers and, and that kind of thing. So we're talking about representation and legislation as well. Right. That's absolutely right. Now, it's it's you're they're not allowed to actually go and change the apportionment after the fact. The redistricting is a little more fungible. Like, you know, if it turns out that these numbers were not accurate, then, you know, 
there could potentially be some reassessment depending on when that information comes out and when the redistricting happens. But in terms of funding, there certainly could be some congressional action taken to say, like, you know, look, you need to look at these these adjusted figures if the Census Bureau does indeed adjust those figures. Now, that hasn't happened in the past, as I understand, but it, there's nothing to say that it couldn't happen if, you know, people in Congress decide that, that it should. Well, it is definitely a talker. What kind of feedback have you gotten since the story came out from people? Um, I've gotten, you know, a lot of interest um, from from people who say that they are not surprised, um, who, you know, have been following the coverage and seeing, you know, what the census was dealing with last year and saying that this is, you know, something that they expected. Um, but again, it's 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 too early to know for sure. But it does sort of you know, raise the question of sort of the, the systemic problems, because like, you know, as you say, you've got these communities that are are less affluent, you know, lower income communities that see like, well, wow, our roads aren't getting fixed, you know, or mm-hmm. our schools aren't, aren't getting this kind of funding that that our more affluent neighbors are getting. And, you know, on the one hand, I mean, it feels as if there is discrimination going on, the census, you know, the government is actually going by the numbers and going by the census. And so the mm-hmm. dis- where is the discrimination starting? You know, it's sort of a philosophical question. It's like it's not it's not necessarily that, that the, the way that the numbers work is unfair when it comes to dealing out the funds, but is there some sort of more systemic discrimination going on with things like, you know, the way that the census happened last year, the way that the administration at the time was was trying to end it early or, you know, add different things to the census that made people more reluctant to fill it out. I mean, that that's a larger conversation that all of this brings up. Well, you have got us talking and looking. Thank you for your report. Uh, Tara Baramampour with the Washington Post Social Issues Reporter. We appreciate you being on the Shaletta Show. Thanks so much for having me. Tune in each week to demand and implement diversity and inclusion at your job. Hear more on ShalettaMakesMeLaugh.com. If you're like me, family is the most important thing in your life. But talking about finances with your family can be a challenge. This is a photo of me, my mom, my grandmother, and my great-grandmother. Every lesson I learned about putting money away for a rainy day, I learned from them. That's why I'm moderating an AARP panel on Tuesday, November 9th at 6.30 to talk about saving money for retirement no matter what stage you're in. So whether you're Gen Z, a millennial, Gen X, or a boomer, join me on November 9th. We'll have a panel of common folks like you and me. We'll work together so we can find solutions. To sign up for this free event, log on to aarp.org backslash events. This event is sponsored by AARP Minnesota, Black Women's Wealth Alliance, Bridge Makers, and Youth Prize.